Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Jay, and this is the Rewatch Podcast. I watch movies all the time. Then I like to rewatch them, and sometimes I'll even watch them again. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad or just downright terrible. I'm going to watch them and then tell you all about them. And sometimes I'll have special guests join me. This is the Rewatch Podcast. Welcome back to the Rewatch Podcast. I am Jay Thomas. This week, I'm very excited. We have a very special guest here. Uh, writer, director, editor, does so many different things. Curtis Spieler, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. I, I have talked about a, a place that you work for a very long time on the show, Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, a friend of mine got me back into getting physical media and Blu-rays and things like that. Because I was, I, I hate to say it, I was becoming a very digital person. And uh, he's like, oh, you're going to find movies that you won't find anywhere else on these sites showed me a lot of boutique ones and i think the first thing that i got was deadly games the evil santa movie from vinegar syndrome and from there on i've been hooked you know physical media is is kind of still hanging on which we appreciate i mean it's kind of what our whole company is sort of built on and you know as things are changing into this digital age uh you know sure there's some convenience to it but you know if you don't own the movie you don't do you really own the movie yeah, know? exactly. And we're running into that. You know, people are finding out that, you know, if they don't have a physical copy of it, if it's taken down, taken down from a streaming platform, you know, then you don't have access to it anymore. So uh, I'm glad to see physical media still staying alive. And actually, it seems to be doing even better these days. So it's good. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things like I especially over, you know, the pandemic and stuff, I, I really got into movies that, uh, you know, were a bit campier. And I've always had a soft spot for like the campier movies and kind of the B movies. But like growing up, I didn't really, I, I watched more of the mainstream stuff. And then I think it was like around the time uh, Grindhouse came out with Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. And I was like, oh, there's a whole different area here. And there's movies that they tried so hard to make a good movie and they didn't, weren't trying to make it, you know, cheap or silly looking, but there's this charm to those movies. And you guys really embrace those and give them a look like they've never had before. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of that comes from, you know, the 42nd Street era, drive-in era, you know, that's what they were trying to replicate in Grindhouse is these movies that, you know, back then there was no home video. So these producers, whoever, they would make their money off of the theatrical runs. And so a movie, they would make it, they would strike some film prints and they would sometimes physically take them around the country and play them at movie theaters and you know, drive-in theaters and all that kind of stuff. So there's this whole world of films that didn't necessarily get the appreciation that maybe they deserved at the time. And sure, maybe they were made a little bit cheaper because they were trying to sort of make money in mm -hmm. those theatrical returns because that's all they had. Um, but yeah, there's this whole world of films out there and we're always discovering new ones. And that's really what I love about this job is I'm even discovering these films that I've never heard of that I'm really appreciating. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Cause it, it really is like it's going through like the vinegar syndrome website. It, it really feels like going through a video store and looking at the covers and judging what you want based on the awesome covers. And I think the packaging that you guys do is just, it's outstanding. These movies are so much fun. And I think yeah. that it, I'm bummed that some of them, you know, I haven't seen till recently that I'm like, I could have been watching this for years. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, we actually, yeah, we pride ourselves on the artwork. And it's it's once again trying to capture sort of, you know, the, the home video uh, vibe, especially in the 80s when home video became really big and in the early 90s. 
you would have to try to sell these movies with the artwork or the cover artwork and especially with horror films which we put a lot of them out you know it was it was making a cover that would catch the uh, audience's eye and make you want to rent it and so you know we try to kind of keep that same flavor here try to you know recreate that same feeling and um yeah i uh i grew up in that era so you know i appreciate that part of the business yeah i, I think one of the the movies that i was so happy that you guys put out um and it wasn't because i loved it when i was younger I, I did a whole podcast in this episode on this movie i thought this movie i made it up in my head i thought i had dreamt it uh and it was alien from la oh <laughs> which is one of the strangest movies i've ever seen and I remember I got up uh, one morning and I, I knew, I think, I don't remember if it was a sale that you guys were doing or if it was just a new month. And I looked it up and I saw Alien in LA. I'm like, no way. That's a real thing. I really did see that one day. I don't know if it was like on Comedy Central or like USA Up All Night or it was, it was something like that back when I was younger. And I, it was so strange. I thought I had made it up and then I bought it immediately. And I'm like, nope, this is exactly what I remember. This is a crazy movie. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, we, yeah, with Kathy Ireland, which was yeah. her first acting gig, I believe. Um, and of course, they, they also dubbed her voice, which was really weird. Uh, I, if I remember right, I'm pretty sure it's not her voice when she's acting. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely an interesting movie. <laughs> it yeah, of, yeah. It's kind of crosses a couple different genres. So yeah, it's funny. But that's, that's the charm. You know, that's kind of the thing that, that uh, I think if you enjoy those kind of movies, I mean, Vinegar Syndrome has so many of them. Surf 2 was another one I got that I was like, what is happening right now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for people that don't know, there is no Surf 1. It was just Surf 2. And it's this like riff on surfer movies. Uh, Eric Stoltz is in it. Um, it's it's really it's really out there. It's kind of almost like has airplane type humid humor where it's like a little over the top. uh are very over the top, not yes. a little, just but very over the top humor. It's interesting because there is a fan base for these films too. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, people are definitely always uh, messaging us, going, "When are you going to do this movie? When are you going to do that movie?" And Surf Two was one of those ones that was requested for a long time. Uh, it, it amazes me the things that people are fans of that I don't even know exist, and then I find out about it through other people. So yeah, you know, it's again, there's a whole other world of films out there, and you know, that's what Vinegar Syndrome is all about. I mean, I talk to people all the time. We're like, oh, yeah, I like movies. And then, you know, they want to talk about the newest Transformers movie or something right. like that. And you're like, oh, OK, yeah, no, I I work in a whole different part of the movie industry. But uh, not that there's anything wrong with the Transformers movies for those no. who like them, because, uh, I, you know, I watch just about anything. But, uh, yeah, this this whole era of again like sort of lost 70s 80s early 90s films i mean there are some crazy movies out there well one of them that i and i look i realized as i was going through my collection the the most 4ks that i own are from you guys because the the time that gets put into put putting those together and remastering them uh one of the movies that i got uh that i'd never heard of and after i looked at the cast i'm like how have i not heard of this was ticks and oh. i thought ticks was so much fun it's yeah. such a uh, just a kind of sloppy gore fest yeah that was definitely a, a 90s video store rental for a lot of people oh for sure it went straight to video uh i remember that one fondly renting it and uh i you know i remember it being this super gory creature feature and uh for years nobody could really get a hold of that one i mm -hmm. think some company overseas i think did a dvd at some point but um 
yeah, we were adamant about putting a, a UHD out for that. So like everything, as the technology changes, we're trying to keep up with it. I mean, we recognize that, you know, Blu-ray is kind of the standard for films now and mm-hmm. UHD is now the new sort of medium that's coming out we've put out a lot of movies on UHD and some people are like, Oh, well, why that movie when other movies don't have it? It's like, well, that's not, that's not our, you know, we're, we're just, we're going with the times, you know, uh, you know, not everything is going to probably end up on UHD because the resolution, the, the film elements may not support it. But Mm -hmm. in the meantime, I mean, yeah, anything that we can, we're, we're going to try to probably put out on UHD. So when it comes to converting stuff like that and remastering it, what what do you do with with those? Uh, well, first I started working uh, doing special features. I mm-hmm. was editing special features. That's how I ended up starting with the company. Um, I did some freelancing for them early on, and then they hired me on. Nowadays, I I kind of manage the special features uh, along with a guy named Brad Henderson. The two of us kind of manage the special features. Uh, I don't edit them as much anymore. Predominantly, I focus on that and restoration. So. Uh, the way the restoration works, because people ask this a lot, is we try to find the best uh, surviving film elements that we can, usually the original camera negative if possible, and uh, we scan it. We have a, a film scanner. It's The film is scanned in, and then we have a digital version, which then we have software that we go in and we clean up the frames of the movie, remove the dirt, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's a long process. We try to clean up the sound, all of that. So uh that's a big part of my job is restoration so yeah and and i mean the work that you guys put in to make some of these movies that have i mean like i said it before they've never looked as good as, as they do and sometimes it is like well i wonder how this one you know got picked over another one but like you were saying sometimes it's just it's what you have and it's what you can do and um one of the things that i i absolutely loved and i, I said it multiple times on the show my favorite movie last year was new york ninja by far and because it was just so much fun and, and not not just the movie itself, but the story behind it was so interesting and made it so kind of endearing. And, and I how did you guys uh, like I think on the special features didn't wasn't it your first day that you that it was that was found that you guys had that? Uh, yes. Well, so, yes, the, they had had it in the film archive. So for people that don't really know, uh, New York Ninja was a movie that was originally shot in 1984 and was never finished uh, and was subsequently shelved. And fast forward about what 30 something years later and I'm working for Vinegar Syndrome and we find out, I find out on my first day of work that in our film archive, we have all the original unedited camera rolls for New York Ninja, uh, for a movie called New York Ninja at the time. I didn't even, none of us really knew what it was. All, All we knew that it was an unfinished uh, movie and all the sound elements had been lost over time so it was sort of sitting in our archive because nobody really knew quite what to do with it um and after working for the company for about a year or so um i was working on some of my own independent uh movies and all that kind of stuff and i went to the owners and i i said to them you know maybe we should take a look at this if if it figure out what level of finishing it needs and uh you know, if we think we can finish it, I would like to take the project over. And of course, they love the idea because it it's, uh, goes along with the restoration that we do here. Right. And um, but it's also partly like an original production, which is something that we were looking to move into. So it kind of like merged the two worlds together. Uh, so, yeah. So for about a two year process, I worked on 
cutting the movie together, writing new dialogue, bringing in voice actors to dub the voices. And uh, it's kind of this unique experience where uh, it's it's a a new film, but not at the same time. Yeah. So one of the things that you had said uh, and one of the features was that, you know, you you put it all together in the order that you had it and it didn't make any sense. I mean, was there a moment that you saw when you were putting it together that you're like, I think I can finish this. Like, I think like you, like there was a moment that you're like, this is, we need to finish this movie. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I might've said this in the special features. I can't really remember, but um, the very first footage that I saw for anybody who's seen the movie, there's a fight scene that happens down by the water where the main character, he has this little golden memorial for his wife who was killed. And then he, he fights these punks down by the water. And that was the very first footage that we saw when we started scanning it in. And we knew right then and there that we had something. <laughs> it, it was just a question of how much footage do we have and is there enough for a finished film? And actually there was, there was a lot of film. The problem is not all the scenes were finished mm-hmm. and it was definitely like a sort of slap dash production where, and we've found this out from people. We've actually tracked down people who worked on the original production. They were kind of, sort of making it up as they went along. Um, there was they weren't really following the script. Sometimes the actors didn't even have a script. So it was sort of this film that was being made as it was being shot. And, uh, you know, when I started going through, it was there was never a time where I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. It was just figuring out how I was going to be able to do it. And, uh, you know, we, we were pretty adamant early on that we didn't want to shoot extra footage if we could avoid it we wanted right. to use all the footage that was there and basically that was achieved the only there's the only thing that was added was the credits and um there's a overlay of an explosion that happens near the end of the movie that um was uh, pulled from another movie which actually let me <laughs> let me explain that slightly so Uh, The company that originally produced New York Ninja was a company called 21st Century Distribution. And they put out uh, a movie called The Executioner Part 2, which is a film that we released here through Vinegar Syndrome. And when I was trying to figure out how to end this like pivotal scene in the film, um, that was one of the things that they hadn't finished shooting. And so I needed a way to end the scene and make it effective because it's a big scene in the movie. And I was watching the executioner part two i just had it on one day while i was busy doing some other stuff and there's a stock explosion in that movie and i thought to myself well you know if i was an editor working for that company at that time and i needed to finish this movie i would have probably pulled from our own archive right so so that's what i did we went and we got the film which we had here in our archive of vinegar syndrome and we just rescanned that section i pulled it out and i overlaid it over this uh helicopter in the movie and that's like the explosion so those are the only two things that are added is the credits and the explosion everything else was filmed that they shot so i watched it again today i was just amazed looking at it because i'm like well they had just the footage but you had no sound and being somebody that i work on commercials for radio every day and like i'm constantly using sound effects and things like that i'm like man having a completely no sound video of this movie and then you had to recreate everything. I mean, uh, and I know you guys worked with other companies to do the sound and everything like that. But I mean, that's a daunting task to decide, you know, we're going to put this together. But not only that, I mean, you did it in the, in the way that it's it feels like it was all put together 
at one time. Like it doesn't feel like there's a 30 year difference when you're watching it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that I mean, that's definitely something that we try to do. And yes, uh, there's a company called Three Beep who was very instrumental in uh, helping with the voice recordings, especially for all the punks. And they did uh, a, a lot of the sound design and sound work. So, you know, kudos to them because it was a big undertaking. But uh, yeah, that was a big part of the process is we and myself uh, specifically wanted to make sure that this felt like it came out of the era as much as possible. I've said before, you know, a, a compliment is if somebody doesn't know that the movie was finished 30 years later, you know, I mean, I'm proud of my work and all that, but if people don't right. know and they think it's just this movie that was, you know, came out in the eighties and, you know, uh, that's that's the biggest compliment and actually there have been a few people uh especially you know people who have kind of found it online or you know saw it without knowing the backstory uh i've, I've seen some reviews on imdb that were <laughs> <laughs> you could tell they didn't really know what they were watching and right so, but you know what I'll, I'll i'll take it because then that means we did our job so i appreciate that i mean if you watch any of the ninja movies of that time I mean, you can definitely see where it had its inspirations. And then there's the other parts that I'm like, I, I don't know what what's going on here. But I'm sure that's probably what it would have been like if you were watching it anyway with the script that they had, with the sound that they had. Uh, I mean, it, it was kind of fun that, you know, you got to make kind of your own story. I, I loved the, the dubbing because really there's so many movies that that's what they were like. I mean, they were all dubbed and you really could not tell. Um, I, and then I think finding out the backstory behind it just makes it all that more of a, a special watch. Yeah, the dubbing. So that was the one part that I was like, I wasn't sure if it was really going to work because after yeah. we had done the whole edit and I wrote the new dialogue, I had never tried to write dialogue to match mouths and mm -hmm. match syllables. Uh, sometimes I could read the lips and if I could, I would try to use what was there and then build stuff around it. Um, but I, I wasn't sure if the dubbing was really going to work. Uh, the good thing is, again films from that era 70s 80s um there was a lot of dubbing that was done sometimes entire films were dubbed especially foreign films i mean uh, italian films were very much known for sometimes having a mix between italian american actors sometimes even from other countries and everybody would get dubbed in one way or another and so you know when you have this sort of mix of like the mouths sometimes matching up to what's being said but then sometimes not it, it's you know for fans of these types of films it's it's kind of par for the course and um luckily everybody's sort of accepted the dubbing and it's actually kind of builds a charm to the whole thing so i was trying to use sort of old school martial arts movies for inspiration but as i kind of got into it and started working on the dubbing it was really more like european films that i i thought kind of had that flair for or that feeling of the dubbing where you know you might have one actor whose mouths match and then the other one doesn't and they're in the same conversation but somehow it just works so uh luckily uh luckily other people did it before me so i just uh yeah. copied what they were doing one of the things i i loved in the movie the movie in general reminded me of like Streets of Rage or, you know, some of those fighting games with the punks that they just kept coming. And it was like scene after scene, it was just a new set of punks. And it would they would come in and just get beat up by the New York ninja, John Liu. And uh, it, that just, it, it always makes me, every time I watch it, I'm like, well, I'm going to go play Final Fight <laughs> or I'm going to go play Streets of Rage. It's definitely one of those like beat em up movies and it's a blast. 
Well, it, it's actually funny you say that. So during the two year process that I was working on this, especially the editing, uh, uh-huh. the, the first uh, edit was done probably within the first like six months. But during that time, while I was going through all the footage and all that, all I did was watch uh, like martial arts films, uh, ninja films, all that kind of stuff. And um, I definitely played a lot of Streets of Rage because <laughs> I was a big fan of, the, of that when I was growing up, The uh, right. you know, for Genesis, all three of them. Um, but then they actually released the fourth one uh, relatively recently, and I was just playing all of them, especially for like the music and that whole vibe. Yeah. And, uh, it just kind of kept me in the mind frame. So yeah, it's funny you say that because yeah, big fan, and uh, definitely played them while I was working on it. So kind of had forgotten that I had that feeling when I watched it, and then I watched it again today. I'm like, I really need to play Streets of Rage four again. So it's been it's been a minute. Um, when I was watching it the first time. Uh, my wife came in the room and, and she has appreciation for movies like this too. Um, but she, she came in with when uh, the news anchor character was on. And th- I think the first thing she said was what's with that wig. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, is it a wig? She goes, are you kidding? Like, that's obviously a wig. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that's an interesting thing is there's the wig, but then there's all the outfits. And for anybody who hasn't seen the movie yet, there's definitely like every scene has like a, you know what the hell kind of moment like uh there's always something where like somebody's dressed in some way or something happens like there is not a scene in the movie where you don't go like what were they thinking at this point and um well then that's what makes it so entertaining is there's always something to kind of uh keep you entertained or laugh or 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 just you know have fun with it and uh, i love watching it with an audience um i've gone to a number of screenings where it's played it's definitely like a, a crowd pleaser, but watching the people react to the things that are on screen. Um, there's even been things that when I was working on it, I didn't really find funny. You know, I just, I would, you know, something would happen and I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll just make this out of here and do this. And yeah. then all of a sudden I'm watching it and people are dying. There's, there's like <laughs> a part where uh, these girls all run out after getting saved and they immediately run over to a trash can where there's a fire burning yeah. and they, they start warming themselves up. And for some reason, the very first time I saw that with the crowd, I, I didn't really think much of that scene when I was editing it. It's just the footage I had to work with. And then when I saw it with the group of people, they they were dying during that point. And <laughs> and after that, I was like, oh, wow, that is funny. And so every time I see it, I now laugh at that. So there's always something new to discover watching that movie. Yeah, it's got rewatchability, like in, insane. And I've watched it, you know, during the whole pandemic time. I, I haven't gotten together with my friends very often. Uh, but my friend that introduced me to Vinegar Syndrome and, and movies like that, he came over and we watched New York Ninja together and it is so the kind of movie that you watch with people and with friends and just laugh at the, I mean, you got a roller skating ninja. I mean, that's about all you really need to know. And I, one of the things I noticed today, but right before that scene, when like the gangs are like nodding at each other and like pointing at each other, I felt like they were just filming without people knowing. Oh yeah. Cause there was like a guy that walks by that's staring at like, what the hell's going on? Oh yeah, no, they're, they're yes, one hundred percent. They were not filming with permits or anything like that. They were literally so. Uh, at one of the screenings, we did a screening at the Roxy in New York City, and um, one of the gentlemen who ended up coming to that screening was uh, one of the original. Um, uh, I, I guess I would say producers, but he was like an onset producer, and so he was able to give me a lot of backstory. And he even told me that that's literally they would drive around, and uh, John Liu 
uh, who is the star and the director, he would literally just say, oh, let's stop here and shoot this scene. <laughs> and they would pull over and everybody would get out and they'd film the scene. And yeah, it's it's right in the middle of, uh, you know, New York City, uh, Manhattan. Uh, and you could just definitely tell that people are walking around going, oh, what's what's going on here? What's, yeah, they have no idea. They have no idea. But you could get away with that back then. Not so much anymore. Well, one of my favorite like credits in the movie is how you you have it listed like you know for all the people that worked on it that we we have no idea who they were i mean i have more people come out that now that it's done that uh you've talked to i mean you were just saying the the producer but like i know in the uh on the blu-ray uh it said you know john lou you guys hadn't he didn't really want anything to do with it has he since it's sort of this weird story because he's basically living off of the grid as far as we know in Vietnam, that was like the most we could really find out. Uh, and so we only heard through other people that apparently have contact with him that, uh, that they have spoken to him and he just doesn't want anything to do with his film career anymore. So yeah. that was, that was kind of like a dead end right from the very beginning. Um, but we have run into a number of people now. So now that the films come out, people are kind of coming out of the woodwork going, oh, my God, I worked on that in the 80s. <laughs> like, And uh, a lot of stunt guys, the original reporter, Adrian Meltzer, she's on the special features. Uh, but, yeah, no, there are definitely uh, people that are coming out. I'm hoping maybe we can put together even a more comprehensive documentary uh, over time. Um we're just, you know, doing our best to track down the people that we can. But it's it's amazing hearing the little stories. I think the backstory behind this whole thing is what's so cool about the movie beyond just the movie itself. So for a movie to be completely abandoned the way that it it was and everybody's like, nope, I'm just cleaning my hands of it. We're not even talking about this thing anymore. And then you find it and, and put it back together. I mean, it really uh, it, it adds a lot to the story for sure the yeah. mystery of it all yeah yeah like i said i mean uh it just us discovering things as we go along um you know we found out so originally there's a there's a detective in the movie originally it was supposed to be rudy ray moore that was supposed to be cast in that role i don't even know how far they got with that idea of whether mm-hmm. or not they even spoke to rudy ray moore or not but um there we found some uh, early early marketing that they had made for the film that had rudy ray moore's name on it but anyway either way rudy ray moore is not in the film um but the detective that they did get um he's now a big time stunt coordinator in hollywood and oh, wow. uh we we were able to actually just recently get in contact with him and uh hopefully that'll help you know, he's like, oh, I remember some of the guys that worked on this. And um, as as time is going on, hopefully we'll figure out some more. In fact, recently we just put out a movie called Mutant Hunt and we were going through the movie and I'm watching it. And I was like, wait a minute, why does that guy look really familiar? Because <laughs> it was a, another low budget movie shot in New York, uh, very similar. And uh, yeah, the uh, one of the one of the main guys in that film played one of the main punks in New York Ninja. And I was like, Oh, oh that's my God. awesome. He was a New York Ninja. So, uh, unfortunately I, I think he's passed away, so we mm. can't get in contact with him. And that's the unfortunate part. We have discovered a few of the main people in the film have passed away. And so, you know, we may not be able to get in touch with everybody, but you know, hopefully, uh, over time, maybe we can put a little something bigger together. Mutant hunt is one of them. I've, I've recently put on my wish list. Yeah. So I, I think down the road, I'm definitely gonna get that one. I just got an order last week with unmasking the idol uh which that was one of those that 
I had never seen or heard of. The cover was super badass, so I got it. And then I watched it, and it might be one of my favorite movies that I have bought yeah. from you guys. It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. It's movies like that. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I had never seen that one until we started working on it. And, you know, there's just sometimes there's those movies that as – as soon as you start watching it, you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, how have I never seen this before? This movie's amazing. One of the things I, I do find interesting is you guys are definitely branching out as far as the movies that are being released. Like, uh, I got a box that had uh, Thriller, a cruel picture in it, also Cloak and Dagger at the yeah. same time, which is much more of a kid's almost family movie. And Thriller is definitely not. Um, how do you uh, – are you guys branching out more into – like not real necessarily family movies, but stuff like that. <laughs> yes, those are two very, very, very different movies. movies. Yeah, watch <laughs> them in the same weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people ask us that, like, how do we choose which movies we put out? And sometimes we don't really, we don't really think about that. If right. I'm being honest, so there's kind of a mix of things that happen. Sometimes movies come to us. Uh, so sometimes a producer who may still own the rights to something will come to us and say, hey, would you guys be interested in putting this out? Um, sometimes it's movies that we know that haven't been put out and we go after them to try mm -hmm. to find them. And then sometimes there's things like um, studio deals where uh, there's a certain studio picture that or a certain movie that we want to go after. We find out that a studio owns it. Studios can be tricky to work with, but sometimes uh, we can we can actually uh, kind of open the door and get in and see what else they have. And then sometimes, you know, we, we look at something like Cloak and Dagger and, you know, that's one of those 80s movies that has so much nostalgia to it, but it has never really gotten a good strong physical media release yeah. and that's one where we think like hey listen this this covers a, a wide demographic in our audience uh you know anybody who's around our age i'm 40 now so yeah same up, yeah so growing up watching movies in the 80s you have a certain nostalgia for them we did rad um i think about what a year and a half ago now and that was a huge one for us um so, you know, sometimes it's really also our own nostalgia. So it's like, you know, getting in, uh, you know, the door got opened for uh, that particular studio and we saw, hey, they've got uh, they've got the the film negative for um, Cloak and Dagger. And it's like, OK, let's see if we can make a deal for this. And we did. And, you know, that's how it came out. So there's a lot of different things. And also we discover things in our own film archive. Um, as we're cataloging films and we get uh, things from other places, you know, we'll discover, you know, certain negatives and we're like, Oh my God, this movie, like we need to put this out. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, it's, it's, there's no one answer for how we end up with what movies we put out. Yeah. And it's definitely interesting. Like I remember uh, when you guys put out drop dead Fred, I was like, Oh, that's a different direction that it's going. And then cloak and dagger shortly after. And I got to say, out of all the things that I bought, Cloak and Dagger might have the best packaging out of any movie I've ever bought before. It is like every next layer when you open it, it just gets better and better. Yeah. So and and kind of the way that came about was, uh, you know, we started getting some of these films like Cloak and or getting access to some of these films like Cloak and Dagger and Rad and all of these. And um, we ended up starting uh, sort of a sub label as part of our vinegar syndrome branding called uh, VSU, which is vinegar syndrome ultra. And this is where we started doing, you know, UHDs. This is kind of where we really stuck our, our foot in the, 
in the water, so to speak, when it mm-hmm. comes to uh, UHDs. And we picked things that were, you know, had like a nostalgia value. And uh, and w- part of the whole thing was to do these really uh, intricate packaging with really intricate artwork and all that kind of stuff. So most of our VSUs have that type of packaging and it's it's really cool. I really like the Cloak and Dagger. It, looks like a video game packaging, which is really cool. Yeah, like I know if I, if that would have been something I had like when I was a kid, I would have played Cloak and Dagger all the time and just pretended like that was the cartridge. Because I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like the, the game. So it was really fun watching it. Plus, I don't remember that movie being as super violent against kids as it is. And uh, I was watching like, damn, this is dark. Yeah. This, is, this is a lot more violent than I remember it being. Yeah, it's definitely one of those they don't make them like that anymore no. kind of movies where, you know, there was kids. Uh, you would see that in the movies, especially in the 80s, where like there oh, would yeah. be kids in legitimate peril and yeah. there was actual violence going on. Unlike, you know, uh, movies today that stuff wouldn't fly at all. No, the guy holding a machine gun threatening, you know, the kid from E.T. That's not something you would uh, get these days. But I was watching it like, oh, my God, I don't remember this, but I think it's amazing um well this is the rewatch podcast and i talk about movies that i've i've watched a billion times kind of the comfort movies what are some movies that you like to go back to oh man uh that is a tough question so i definitely i'm not one of those people who rewatches things multiple times i usually yeah. i like to see new stuff and keep going but then mm-hmm. you know as time goes goes by i'll, I'll go back to it um Man, uh, I'm a big horror fan. I grew up watching horror films. So I would say probably the things that I've watched the most is probably the Friday the 13th franchise. It's one of those, I I call it like, you know, comfort films basically where I'll put them on just to like go to sleep. Uh, You know, they, you know. I do that with Elm Street, ironically enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a, a comfort to them. I mean, I remember being, uh, I don't know, probably like early teenage years and just renting all of them from the video store in a week and watching them all back to back. And so, you know, it just has a, a, a fun nostalgia value to me. Um, so I would probably say the Friday 13th films, if I had a pick, were probably the ones I've watched, rewatched the most. You know, I remember uh, when I failed my driver's test, I was so depressed. I went and I rented uh, Jason Lives just to watch something that was like super happy. Well, not a happy movie, but was like, this is just fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, that's definitely, uh, it's like a lighthearted one compared to some of the others. And it's, yeah, it's definitely a fun movie to watch. Part four, aside from the first one, I would say part four is probably my favorite. It's probably the one I watched the most. I think it, it it hit its like peak where it had a a bigger budget, a strong director and they, they, at the time it was planned to be the last one. So they kind of were trying to go out with a bang. And then of course we all know that it was definitely not the last one. A year later, there was another one. <laughs> and that's always funny when, when they end up doing that. Like I, I love the Halloween series, but that one is so I've tried to, I've I had to explain it to many people like, all right, well you watch these, this one and it goes with this one and then it starts over and it just reboots. Yeah. And uh, that's one of those two that they, there's a really nice set for it. And I, one of the things I love in the special features, and you guys get that a lot on yours, is where, when the actors or producers or directors that are behind it are completely honest with like, you know, this part didn't exactly turn out how we wanted it to. Because I've seen some special features where, you know, everybody's just talking the movie up like crazy and like, they're, no, nothing went wrong. Like, this is exactly how we wanted. Yeah, well, I remember this is just a fun side story, but uh, I had a short film of mine years ago that played at the new york city horror 
film festival when uh herschel gordon lewis was still alive and he was receiving a um like lifetime achievement award from the festival and i remember him saying that if he knew the movies uh were still going to be around at this time he would have tried to make better movies so (laughs) you know but again he like he was a, a model of that whole like I'm going to make this movie, I'm going to make it gory so that there's some exploitative element that will get people to go see it. Right. And then I'll, you know, it'll make its money just going around doing drive-ins and, you know, cheap theaters and stuff like that. And nobody at that time ever expected like home video to still exist and people yeah. to be watching it, you know, 40 years later on Blu-ray or whatever. And so, you know, you have a lot of these directors now that look at their work and they go, well, yeah, I guess if I knew it was going to be around now, <laughs> maybe I would have uh, done things differently. But, you know, again, uh, but that's the charm to it. I think that's the part that people really appreciate about these movies is they are a little rough around the edges and that's a good thing so yeah definitely is and you know before i let you go i we we gotta talk about your latest movie the girl in apartment three or the dead girl in apartment three tell me about this it just came out was it like a month ago uh yeah so it's, it's funny i actually shot that before i started working on new york ninja it's just um distribution with a company called wild eye um you know i think things got kind of slowed down with the pandemic um you know, we couldn't really do film festivals and stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it actually didn't end up coming out till after I was done with New York Ninja. So New York Ninja came out uh, and then the dead girl in apartment three came out after that. Um, but yes, I shot that before, uh, you know, it's a, it's a supernatural um, like slow burn um, takes place predominantly within uh, an apartment um, starring a woman named uh, Laura Dooling uh, who's fantastic because the movie almost completely revolves around her. Um, but it also co-stars Adrian King from the first Friday the 13th movie. So that's, I saw that. And I, I now knowing that you're a, a Friday the 13th person, I mean, that, that had to be just amazing for you. Yeah, no, that that was huge. That was huge. I mean, you know, working in this industry, you, you meet people all the time from, mm-hmm. you know, genre movies that you like, but I mean, uh, Friday 13th is probably one of the most iconic films of all time. And of course you look at something like Halloween, for example, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, she has a huge career. She's gone on to do a lot. Uh, Adrian King, you know, she didn't have as big of a career. Um, so it's nice that actually she's doing more, more films now, but I mean, um, she's one of the most iconic final girls of all time. Yeah. And, uh, to make a movie with her was absolutely amazing. I've, I watched the trailer today. I haven't watched it yet, but it looks real creepy. Incredibly different than anything like New York Ninja. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely, it's a slow burn horror. It's, you know, you watch it at home with the lights off and hopefully it'll creep you out a little bit. So, And I, I like, I tend to like movies that take place kind of in one area. Yeah. Uh, it just adds this kind of claustrophobic feel to it. And uh, yeah, I think that it looks, especially this time of year, uh, how can people watch it? Uh, so that uh, the Dead Girl in Apartment Three is uh, Vudu, uh, most streaming platforms, um, Amazon Prime. If you search it on your TV, you'll probably find it. So uh, it's streaming for now, and then there's supposed to be a Blu-ray release, I think, in November. So very cool. And I, I actually saw recently that uh, New York Ninja is on Showtime. Yep, it's it's Blu-ray. You can get through VinegarSyndrome.com. Um, but it is playing, uh, it, it aired on, um, Showtime and it also aired on, uh, Turner Classic Movies. 
you know, the streaming apps. If you have like the uh, Showtime streaming app, I think it's still up there. So you can check it out now before before it's not there anymore. Um, there'll probably be more streaming down the road. But we're also because we're still doing a theatrical run with it. We basically have been doing a the- theatrical run all year. Um, we haven't really stepped into the streaming world. But once again, you know, I'm not bad mouthing streaming, but physical media is still kind of our preference here at Vinegar Syndrome. Right. So I would highly recommend getting the Blu-ray, checking it out. There's some cool special features on there and you'll get stuff that you definitely won't get by just streaming it. So Yeah, I highly recommend checking out at Vinegar Syndrome. I bought it for a friend recently. Definitely check out the movies coming out on Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, Curtis, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been a, a great conversation and I love what you guys do and can't wait to watch the Dead Girl in Apartment 3. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. The Rewatch Podcast is an Alpha Media production.